Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a portfolio, a store to sell your products, a blog to share your ideas, Squarespace gives you everything you need to make your next move a reality. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code CANADALAND to get 10% off your first purchase. The election of Andrew Scheer as the new leader of the Conservative Party of Canada has to be recognized as a low water mark for Canada's political press. Despite months of coverage of the race, most Canadians had no idea who the guy was. He is now on a very short list, like two people short, one of whom will be our next prime minister. And he got on that list with most of us not having any clue. We in the media took our eyes off the ball. We poured copious coverage onto the shiny head of Kevin O'Leary, a Boston-based Anglophone who didn't even bother to show up to leadership debates, and who every political journalist in the country knew had little chance of success. We gave cover stories, hot takes, and mocking tweets to Kelly Leach, 
a charmless weirdo who stumbled through her faltering campaign like she was lost in a K-hole. We, and yes, I do mean we, sprinkled coverage as well on Bernier and Chong, even a little Tony Clement way back when. Meanwhile, Scheer and his staunchly social conservative ideas flew under the radar. He played right out of the Harper handbook, keeping a low profile and a genial smirk, working the inside party angles, giving a little wink to the nutjobs on the fringes of his big tent while keeping their angry words out of his mouth. It worked. It worked before and it worked again for Andrew Scheer without anyone really challenging it or him. And even now, as questions about the legitimacy of his victory remain unresolved, there was a 7,468 vote discrepancy in the final ballot count, enough to throw the whole thing to Bernier. Even now, the media seems intent to pour cold water on the controversy and just move on, accepting, even kind of asserting the status quo in our very Canadian way. People, we got played. And I think it's time for the media to take a hard look in the mirror. Not everybody agrees. My guest today, Robin Urbach, runs cbc.ca's Opinion Vertical, and she has opinions of her own, including her often voiced opinion that I'm wrong. Not just wrong about what the media should do, but wrong about what the media even is. And Robin Urbach joins me in a minute. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Amanda Kellett. Evan Pallett, Victoria McRae, Craig Ferguson, Paul Matthews, T.O. Newman, Neil McKay, and Jeffrey Dvorkin. Jeffrey, why did you decide to be awesome? I teach journalism at the University of Toronto Scarborough campus, and I support Canada Land because I believe in journalistic accountability and media literacy. Thanks, Jesse. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free 
with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. And this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is simply the solution for people who need a website or who have a website but want a better website. It is a pleasure to use. You go through a library of beautifully designed templates, very modern designs, and you plug in your information and then everything just works. There are really not that many things that people do with their website. So Squarespace has perfected each of those things. If you're doing online commerce, they have perfected that. It integrates with everything you needed to integrate with. If you are blogging, if you are using social media in connection with your website, everything has been thought of, everything you might ever do. Tech support is there around the clock, in-house, 24-7 tech support. It's a way of rethinking what you want from your website provider. It's not somebody you go to to just build your website. It's a service that you use to maintain and upgrade your website forever. And the service aspect really can't be undervalued. It's like you're not just getting a website, but your own IT department to go with your new website. So make your next move. Start your free trial at squarespace.com today. Use the offer code CanadaLand. That'll get you 10% off of your first purchase. Again, that is offer code CanadaLand at squarespace.com. And this episode is brought to you by our founding sponsor, FreshBooks. Cloudless accounting, paperless billing. Yes, yes, it covers that. But increasingly, FreshBooks is just a suite of tools designed for the small business person, the freelancer, the entrepreneur. Invoices, expenses, time tracking, credit card payments, things that save you time, get you paid quicker, make you look very good. And, and this is what I'm increasingly finding value in, a hub that allows you to get a sense holistically of what and how your business is doing. It is very reassuring just to know that it is all being taken care of. And then when tax time comes, you can breathe a sigh of relief because it has never been easier than it will be when you use FreshBooks. Check out freshbooks.com. It is the accounting solution used by over 5 million small businesses around the world. It is a proudly Canadian company and you can use it for free for 30 days without having to give them a credit card. When you do decide to become a customer, tell them that Canada Land sent you and you'll be doing the show a favor. I feel like I have been irritating you on Twitter for some time. I feel like I've been irritating you on Twitter. I think that makes for the best dynamics, actually. I find that I it really kicks off when I've been fighting with someone on Twitter for years, and mm-hmm. then you finally get them in front of you. There's a great banter back and forth, especially if there's beers. You've set the bar high and there are no beers here. Oh, shit. Sorry. But I think that we don't have anything to irritate each other, but we, we essentially agree. You were irritated with me when I was saying that the media messed up and we need to have a rethink after Kevin O'Leary. Mm-hmm. And you were like, what is this media? What is this monolith media you talk about? Right. And then later you wrote that the media should know better, but we keep falling for Trudeau's PR. Right. After he accidentally, quote unquote, photobombed those kids taking right. prom pictures. I get it that the media is this monolithic thing that I was at one point debunking and now accusing. Forget that. Okay. All right. That's fine. not important. All right. But we have common ground here. Okay. But I think these two is things. A thing. It does exist. I, I suppose so. But I think these two things are very different. I mean, on the one hand, we're talking about Kevin O'Leary, a guy who was leading the conservative race. Yes. Basically, since before he got in there. And very well could have actually won the leadership, who knows if that actually would have panned out, versus 
a guy who is the prime minister who's doing something that is absolutely not newsworthy. He's photobombing. Photobombing was a misnomer, which McLean's helpfully pointed out, and I thought that was really good. But he's not doing anything, and we're sort of just feeding that PR machine. So I think the two are very different. I don't really see how you can compare one to the other. It's apples to oranges. Or as I put it on Twitter to really annoyingly quote my own tweet, (laughs) it's like comparing apples to apples with hair. No, it's the same thing, because both are examples of... A new paradigm we're in where there's a certain kind of candy that's floated to the media that we can't re- resist. Are you are you saying that Kevin O'Leary was candy? That sure we he was. Okay, so... Angry candy. Well, well, sure, he was angry candy and probably knew as much about the Canadian political system as like some pop rocks or something, but whatever. I mean, I don't, I don't see how we could have necessarily covered his campaign differently. Look, I think his campaign was pretty much a sham. I am really doubtful that he went in, went in there with the intention of actually leading the Conservative Party, especially in opposition for God knows how many years, but it's not as if the media kind of looked at him and just dutifully ignored the throbbing inconsistencies and deficiencies within his campaign. I mean, we we pointed out that he did a lot of his campaigning from the States. He wasn't actually in Canada. I mean, isn't that crazy? Oh, it's absolutely crazy. But it's not as if we sort of pretended that that didn't happen. There was also a great Winnipeg Free Press piece calling out Kevin O'Leary when he missed a campaign stop and he blamed it on a missed flight. And they researched it and they found that there was no missed flight. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. So they called him out on that. We reported on the fact that he didn't know how the Senate worked. He made some bananas proposal about selling Senate seats and he didn't understand transfer payments and he didn't understand the difference between provincial and federal governments. We called him out again and again, even right before he left, he refused to participate in the last conservative debate. And he blamed it on the structure of the debate that they didn't agree to sort of the rules that he proposed. But I actually can't recall reading a story that didn't mention the fact that it was a bilingual debate and Kevin O'Leary had been conspicuously avoiding them since before he got into the race. Yes. So that's in there. So I think, yes, he got a lot of attention. I think as he should have, the guy who's leading the conservative uh, leadership race. But I don't think it was something that the media covered with their tongues in their laps thinking, oh, well, this guy's a great guy. We pointed out over and over again how much he was just sort of not up to the job. I don't disagree. In fact, I think we agree more on more than we probably here. The, the, the campaign was a sham. Yeah. And if you knew how these things work, you, the guy doesn't speak French. Mm-hmm. He doesn't live here. He has built a personal brand that is his business. That is Kevin O'Leary wine, Kevin O'Leary mm-hmm. funds. It's all about his face. It's all about this persona. And he's using our political system to fuel that brand. Right. And the chances that this is a legitimate campaign that will ever have, that he'll be the leader, that he'll be the prime minister is very slim. And you're right that that was communicated. I, I never meant to suggest mm-hmm. that we like, we, we were enthralled by this guy. Mm-hmm. We left that out. But I guess I have a problem And we have to diagnose the problem for this conversation. All right. Fair enough. I guess I have a problem with looking back on this Kevin O'Leary story and not just in terms of this this run, but from the start, this guy who was built by the CBC as a cable news pundit playing the bad guy business guy Mm -hmm. who had no business by a lot of metrics sitting in a journalist's chair, Mm -hmm. sitting there with a man in the lang and being the guy talking about 
like it was a business show, but really the news of the day. Mm-hmm. They were just talking about news and there were embarrassing moments with him and Chris Hedges and whatnot. That was a media invention itself. His right. brand couldn't have happened without us. Then he skillfully manipulates us into just like a ton of press around this. And yes, it's in there, but we have to somehow, like, do we wash our hands of, we say, well, we put in there that he probably, you know, isn't going to make it or that it would be historically unprecedented for Mm -hmm. an Anglophone. And are we just covering our asses and having that somewhere in graph three? Mm. Like, shouldn't that be in every piece of coverage? Like Kevin O'Leary, I agree with you. He's leading the polls. You got to cover him. But like, what does the reader need to know? Kevin O'Leary, who is probably making fools of all of us, (laughs) you know, did this today. I guess it's just sort of like a, I felt like we need to look in the mirror and look at this whole thing and say, Mm -hmm. we're being used here. And and when we're being used, we're not serving our our readers and our viewers. I sort of take issue with the idea that we were being used because I don't think we were being used in the way that the O'Leary campaign would have liked. Like he freaked out. I think maybe it was a CBC report on the fact that he was peddling his wine on American TV during the campaign. He hated that. He yeah. he lashed out afterwards because that was not part of the narrative that he was trying to put forward. So I don't know that we were completely eating out of his hand. We weren't doing what he wanted to do. Sure, we were giving him attention, but yeah. I don't think it was necessarily the attention that he would have liked to get. Maybe not, but it, but it doesn't kind of matter at the end. I'm guilty of right. this as well. As soon as he announced, we were like going through his old CBC tapes looking for like, well, what is the quote here that in this new context is going to embarrass him? The photograph of him with a toilet around his head. Oh, that's a great one. I Classic. love I, mean, we, I can't. I cannot uh. Resist that photo. I know. Right? So, yes, we weren't doing pro O'Leary stuff, but we were doing O'Leary stuff. And meanwhile, we weren't talking about Andrew Shear. Right. To the extent that nobody knew who he was. And, and again, there were profiles in mm-hmm. every major mm-hmm. media did a profile. Uh, Huffington posted an extensive profile. Right. And yet, Canada was like, who is this guy? Right. And we fell down here at Canada Land because we didn't know that his campaign manager. So I'm the director. <laughs> he's a director of Rebel Media. Right. And that was a great get. I think that was Sean Craig. Who, it was great, who made but it came connection. after. It came afterwards. Okay. So part of it was we were waiting with bated breath for O'Leary to finally announce because the polls, I think it was Ipsos and, and Forum maybe, who both had him leading the pack before he got in there. So of course, the second he actually announces, we're not going to be like, hey, there's this guy named you know Aaron O'Toole and he's saying some really interesting things too. We're going to look into his campaign. He's an official candidate now and people know who he is. So while you're talking about him and while you know who he is and while he's leading the race, we're going to dig in there. We're going to find as much crap as we can and throw it out there because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. As for Andrew Shear, I agree with you, actually. He, he was kind of like a sleeping giant the whole time. I think part of the problem with Shear in terms of the media's relationship with him is that his policy, his platform, his whole persona it's not really newsworthy in in the sense that he's not really or he hasn't really proposed anything new. He's kind of a status quo guy, right? So he's anti-carbon taxes. He's anti-HST on your electricity bill. He's pro-religious freedom. I think the most interesting thing that came out of his campaign was a promise to uh, pull funding from universities that don't respect uh, free speech, which is bananas in and of itself. And it makes no sense. And he couldn't coherently do that. But it's hard to report on a guy and say, here's this guy. He's really well known in Ottawa. He has a whole bunch of endorsements. People like him. 
Let me tell you about him. He's proposing basically the status quo. And and that's about it. It's really hard to sort of feign interest in a guy who's not all that, that dynamic. He's actually like a radical. He actually he's the dimpled, smiling, chubby faced <laughs> face of social conservatism. He has a perfect anti-abortion voting record. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, he is for denying funding to universities. Yes that don't support freedom of speech by what metric, as you say. uh, Obviously, this is about a Jordan Peterson kind of a thing. Right. He is consistent with his campaign manager's Mm -hmm. news organization, Rebel Media, in many ways. The only thing that makes him boring is that he keeps quiet about those things in a Stephen Harper kind of way. Right. And lets those people know, I'm on on your side, but I'm not opening that up. Uh, I'm not opening that up because we can't win with that stuff. Right. He's Stephen Harper. He's Stephen Harper with like beautiful dimples and a bunch more kids. I felt like I'd been had. I feel like, oh, my God, I kept looking for the Canadian Trump. Is it Kelly? Right. Is it O'Leary? But the Canadian Trump doesn't look like Trump. You no. know, it would be quieter. It would be <sighs> it would it would be sneakier in that way. It would be more genteel. It would look it would look normal. And, and then and, it's and not boring. a Trump then. Right. But I think like if you look at the amount of money he raised and I think the endorsements was a really big clue that perhaps we didn't pay enough attention to the fact that I can't recall if it was him or Either him or Aaron O'Toole, who in the end had the most endorsements out Mm -hmm. of everybody. And I think that's very significant because it speaks to the type of respect that he has within caucus, within Ottawa, within the party and so forth. So I think there's a clue right there. And and I'll concede that, yeah, we we didn't sort of emphasize that enough. We got sucked into Maxime Bernier's supply management deal and Kelly Leach talking about whatever batshit thing she was talking about. And and frankly, it's a lot more interesting. And it's sort of a chicken and egg situation, too, because it's hard to tell with O'Leary, for example. We know that he was popular before he entered the race and our coverage of him collectively might have helped or hurt that. It's hard to say. But with with other people, it's hard to say. Or with Kelly Leach, for example, yeah. um, she was popular from the get-go, and she got a lot of coverage, really. I think that's an example of the coverage fueling the popularity. I think maybe. I'll give you that one. And I think that from what I know about her, she was a red Tory, yeah. right? Yeah. She's not the Canadian Trump, but mm-hmm. was given advice that this is the button to push. Yeah. She pushed it hard, and we fueled her. She was on the cover of McLean's on yep. that. And you yep, can look at the was. Google trending, only looking at media sources, yeah. and she spiked. You can't make the same argument about her that you did with O'Leary. That no. This was just us, like, hey, she's polling high, so we have to cover her. No, she, she might have been polling high because we covered her the way that we did. I think it was a little bit of both, but I will concede that I think it was a little bit over the top. She really didn't have much meat to what she was proposing. She couldn't explain what she was proposing. I think she did a Q&A with Toronto Life or someone, and she couldn't nail down what these values were, and she gave an example of the questions that she'd ask at the border. They made no sense. It was just, you know, a train wreck of a campaign. But our coverage also sort of petered off as her support did, too. So it wasn't as if we were artificially fueling this dying car. Sure. She kind of disappeared and with it went the attention. So I don't know. It's it's very hard to say. Did people start to pick up on her and that's why we gave her this somewhat over the top attention or was she getting that attention and more people clued into, hey, there's this person who once cried about putting forth these dog whistle policies and now she's putting forth these dog whistle policies. Let's pay more attention to her because she's interesting. Because it's interesting. I mean, that's what we keep getting back to. Right. And I guess there is this fundamental distinction between 
in some perfect world where we were to say, you know, journalism is a public service and you can almost look like, you know, the office of accountability mm. and we're going to vet each candidate and we are immune to who clicks on what or what's interesting. We're going to go through their policies, their stories, and, and we're going to ask them tough questions. And if there's 15 of them, we'll do 15. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't happen because we are not siloed from entertainment right. and what's interesting. We're not immune right. to it ourselves on a personal level, like journalists want to write about what's interesting to them. And we do care what people click on. In a CBC context, I would argue that that should be different, but mm -hmm. th maybe that's another conversation. Sure. But when we look back after a campaign like we just saw, and obviously after Trump's victory, mm -hmm. I wonder if you're not too quick to just like, look, we cover what's interesting. Do you feel like there isn't like a moment where you are questioning, like, what are we doing here, really? I think, I mean, if we were to compare it to Trump, I think the way that the Canadian media covered this race and the way that the media in the States covered Trump is actually very different. And there actually was an evolution in the way that Trump's coverage was reported in the States during his campaign and afterwards. I mean, initially, Donald Trump was out there and television stations were running his rallies unfiltered. They were just airing it. It was just free publicity and sure. every little thing he would cough and it would be breaking news. Um, and I think the media got smarter as the campaign progressed. There's one actually event that sticks out in my mind. I think it must have been right before the election. It was maybe October or something. It was around the birther thing. And uh, Trump teased the fact that he was going to talk about his policy on the birtherism issue. And he got all the media there and it was at his hotel in D.C. And it ended up being this like pathetic excuse for him to tour the media around his new hotel and to basically just show off the surroundings and, mm -hmm. I don't know, sell a couple rooms. And the media refused to air it. I think a number of them did. I can't remember. I think it was CNN was there and MSNBC was there. And Fox News actually refused to air that coverage, too. So I think it changed from the beginning where everyone was sort of falling over themselves to turn their cameras to this guy who was unbelievable to, wait a second, what is he doing? Is he using us? Let's take a step back and learn from that and and go from there. And I Did think they? I think so. I mean, now when you see coverage of Trump, for example, we're seeing what I find really interesting, the simultaneous reporting and fact checking. Yeah. So you'll see in headlines and Chirons that Donald Trump falsely says that Hillary Clinton came up with the birther theory, for sure. example. So it's all being put in there together, acknowledging the fact that, hey, we can't run this guy unfiltered because if we run him unfiltered, he's going to be able to spew these untruths without being checked. But back to my earlier point that that is progress from just flipping a camera on him and saying, hey, this guy gets us crazy ratings. Let's run it, but fact check it. That's progress. And yet you're still running Trump. And at a certain level, to your point, well, did Kevin O'Leary like the press or not? Any mm -hmm. press is good press for a certain kind of monster. And there's a new dynamic in play. And I got chills. I brought this up before, but I got chills reading this thing, I think shortly after Trump's victory that was in slight by Seth Stevenson. I'm just going to read a little bit of this. By the third rally of the day, he was following the Trump campaign. By the third rally of the day, I'd begun to question why we were there. Yes, reporters were dutifully recording Trump's outlandish promises, shameless untruths, and ignorant fuck-ups. Still, any American who hadn't yet cared about this shit wasn't going to start now. No, there was something else. An uncomfortable suspicion taking hold in me. 
I became convinced we weren't at these rallies to observe. We were there to be observed. Ever since the first Trump event I attended back in March, I'd wondered why his campaigns were so intent on impounding us inside these press pens during his speeches. Was it to prevent us from speaking to rally goers? If so, it was ineffective. You can chat with them all you want before or after the event. Maybe it was meant to keep us from filming protesters up close. Again, that didn't work as violent abuse of these dissenters was caught on camera again and again. The campaign itself has always claimed it was a security protocol, which made little sense as everyone inside the venues had been swept by Secret Service. And if journalists can handle war zones, they can handle a little shoving. Perhaps I'd be naive, but it only now dawned on me in the final week of the campaign to my great horror that the real reason they put us in the pen was so they could turn us into props. We were a vital element in Trump's performance. He never once failed to invite his crowds to heckle us. He was placing us on display like captured animals. It's almost a step beyond, I'm going to get press and I don't care if it's good or bad. That's, I think, Trump realizing most of this press, CNN, everyone cares about CNN, Fox has triple the ratings. People who watch CNN probably not going to vote for me anyhow. CNN is more useful to me as a prop. I can turn the media into my foil, into my enemy. I can set them up. I can use them as political props. That scared the hell out of me. I don't know what we do to combat against that because you can be like Daniel Dale and write down, okay, well, that was false, that was false, Mm -hmm. that was false. And I thought that's great. But if you just standing there and writing things down become an effective tool for this guy's campaign, Mm -hmm. what defense do we have against that? Like we're not supposed to care about things like that. We're made into targets and scapegoats. I mean, we saw it a little bit, I suppose, in Canada with the Kelly Leach campaign. And Bernier talks about defunding the CBC. And I think Shear has also. And and fine, that's all good and well. But I don't think that same culture of really villainizing the media, making them targets, I don't see it here, frankly. I do in in, in what Ezra Levant is doing quite explicitly. He'll do that at his rallies. Yeah, Yeah, that's fair enough. And we we put him in a category of just uh, some other batshit batshit crazy. But of course, uh, one of the directors is, of course, Andrew Mm -hmm. Shear's campaign manager. So, And it's also a political organizing tool. So- I worry that it's not as far away from our political culture as all that. And I, and, I, and I also am aware that we tend to take on American trends a few years later. I think so. But I mean, I can say I was at the conservative convention a couple of weekends ago. They had a media pen and it was nothing like that. You could no. wander around. You could do whatever you want. And I, I recall, I mean, it was a little bit grotesque the way the media sort of I shouldn't say the media as a monolithic thing, but some people ate it up during the federal election campaign. I think that's when it was. Trudeau was giving a press conference or doing a rally or something, and some people started booing the media. And Trudeau stopped it. And he said, we don't do that here. And it was very smart on his part. He's magnificent when it comes to those things because it's so brilliant because it gets the media on his side sure. and it gets people on his side. But I just don't think that that culture, perhaps it's on the horizon. Maybe it'll bleed over from the United States. There are certainly people, if you would go on Kelly Leach's grotesque Facebook page and read some of the comments that people were putting out there about journalists, you see it. It's there. There's evidence of it. No question. Has it reached the degree that it has? in the United States. I don't see it. And I don't necessarily see the mechanisms to allow that to happen. Maybe I'll be eating my words, but I'm doubtful. I don't I don't see it, frankly. Well, if I've learned anything, it's that it's never the carbon copy of the American version. That It's Mm -hmm. always done a little bit differently here. And there's elements of Trudeau that evoke it, not in vilifying the media. But but I think the realization that if your celebrity is of a certain wattage, the media is... You know, politicians have always manipulated the media. That's not right. new. Right. But 
they at least had to care. You manipulated them in order to manipulate their coverage. Right. And now they're being manipulated in, in other ways. And now the politicians have their own channels to get things out. Trudeau's manipulations with the quantum physics thing uh, disgusted me. You right, know? right. So that's a Canadian version of something where, you know, he has turned us into, I think it's the point you were making with, with your piece on the, on the photo ops, that we kind of gleefully will play along with his messaging. I think so. And his messaging is very good. And I don't want to create any illusions about the authenticity of those interactions that he has. When he meets someone at a restaurant, that's him. That's, you know, vintage Trudeau. He's great at doing that. And his personal photographer is there 99% of the time. I'm exaggerating. And we pick it up and we report it as news because it's very clicky. And I don't see the case for the news value in something like that. At the same time, when I did write that piece, I should have emphasized it a little bit more. I have a lot of time for the junior editors who are sitting on web desks every day and they have their superiors hanging over them saying, look, the Globe, the Star, CBC, whoever has the story about Trudeau taking a picture with some teens on a bridge, why don't we have it here? Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to stand up when you're in a newsroom and you're a junior person in the newsroom. And unfortunately, the people who are posting a lot of those kind of soft stories are junior people. Who are not paid to do original reporting. Right. Who are there to feed the goat and get clicks. Right. They're posting Which is why the CBC should not be in the click business or the advertising business. So at least there's one place that's just (laughs) actually doing, making these decisions based on news value alone. Fair enough. What's the solution? There have been a few proposed... One is we need to get out of the practice of access journalism, that we need to be being a member of the press gallery or Mm -hmm. getting access to a certain politician, that we need to be getting our information through other channels. And we need to return to first principles of be it going through copious amounts of paperwork, uh, you know, sitting it on committee, that we have to end our addiction to to access. To access. Fair enough. But I think that's that's already on the downward trend already. I mean, we saw it during the leadership campaign. A lot of Kevin O'Leary was a good example. He didn't bother with access a lot of the time. He would go on Facebook and do his Facebook Live and pull out his spatula and talk about scraping the crap out of Ottawa and other garbage things. And he just bypassed the media completely. Yeah. So I think your point, I mean, we can debate the merits of that back and forth, but I also think it's it's on a sort of outward trend already. We're seeing it kind of dissipate as politicians' reliance on traditional media, frankly, just sort of goes away with the times. Which is a huge freedom for us. To, to, I mean, to have uh, packed journalism, a bunch of people, you know, 20 mics getting the same sound clip. Mm-hmm. Why not just have that, that that politician put it out on their own channel and then free up 20 journalists to do something else? To dig up their old pictures of them sticking their head in a the toilet. There you go. Exactly, right? <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. I guess another possible solution is what you might call like I am Spartacus journalism, mm. like where we find some kind of collegiate strength in numbers that applies to situations not only where it's Trump saying CNN, BuzzFeed, your fake news, get out of here. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people suggesting that what should have happened there is that ask the exact same question. Right. That CNN or BuzzFeed asked. But aren't we seeing that, though? There was a press conference where Trump kicked a couple of people out and then other news organizations boycotted it. They said, we're not being part of this farce. Yes, but it only takes one to say, oh, that leaves me an opportunity to get the get. Right. I mean, I see this in a lot of accountability journalism from the UK where 
interviewers are just much more dogged about a, a, a it's, it's, it's a different kind of doggedness, but I, I'll, I'll classify it under the same thing. If somebody wants to do the politician's trick of answering the question that they wish they were asked as opposed to the one that they were asked, mm-hmm. I've seen interviewers like Paxman and others just ask the same question again and again and again. It's, it was a question that I had during some of the Harper escapades of we just sort of gave up asking him about his right. role with Duffy and Nigel Wright when he, you know, refused us access, refused to answer it, and we moved on to other things. Stick to the question that's unanswered, and we all kind of just buttress each other by asking that question until it's answered. I, I guess mean, so, but they do that in the House of Commons anyway. You'll see the opposition rail at the government over and over again about refugees or whatever, and they'll stick to their script. And the same thing happened when the Harper government was yeah. the majority government. They'd get peppered with question after question, asking very specific questions. And Paul Calandra, or whoever it was, would spew out some nothing response over and over and over again. So it's a farce. Everyone knows it's a farce. I'm not sure what repeating the question necessarily would do. Sometimes it was pretty cool. Like when Tom Mulcair was almost like an accountability journalist, just yeah. saying, like, that was nice, but I'm going to ask you the same question again and again and again. I guess the difference with the journalist asking it is that you're sort of saying – we're not going to talk about what you want to talk about right. until you answer the question that we need an answer Although to. Although I think we do that. Yeah. I, re- I really think we do. When you get to scrums and you get to press conferences, you keep pushing the question. Eventually, someone will say, OK, last question, walk out of there, and we don't get an answer. But I think the idea that the media will just roll over and kind of accept what whatever platitude is thrown out there, I don't really see it. I think those questions are thrown out there, and I think more often than not, it doesn't work, frankly, because if someone in government doesn't want to answer a question, they don't answer a question. That's what they're trained to do. I would submit to you that we are more, we're weaker than ever. You know, I, th- that there are more ways around us, through us, mm-hmm. wh- whether you take Coward's Alley, just avoid the press entirely, whether you put the message out on your own channel, that whether you play the press into feeding your narrative or whether like Sheer, you hide under the fact that there are, there are 15, I mean, our resources are so low. Every one mm-hmm. of those conservative candidates had a team of professionals who were running every scenario. If right. this, then this. What do right. we do if this happens? What's our strategy with this? And we couldn't even muster up the resources between the entire Canadian media to say, let's vet each candidate and check each thing of their past. Oh, I think with the exception of, you know, the business guy in BC, there was a pretty thorough vet. I'll give you that we didn't know beforehand that Andrew Shear's campaign manager was a member of the rebel or co-whatever it is. But I mean, would that have changed things in terms of internal voting among card-carrying conservatives? I don't know. Like, I, I don't see where we sort of dropped the ball on this whole thing, whether it's being over covering Kevin O'Leary or undercovering Andrew Scheer. I'm not quite sure where that glaring deficiency was or is that resulted in the outcome that we saw. I think it's just a statement of fact, the kind of like the profiles flawed as, as they were that the Globe mm-hmm. ran during the last federal race where they went and they did extensive, you know, I read a, a thorough profile of Shear by Althea Raj in the Huffington Post, mm-hmm. but it didn't quote any of his opponents. It didn't right. go back and it, right. it, it, it was not that kind of a piece, which takes a lot more time, right? where you go through each controversial part and and you try to arrive at, you report it. Right. Well, I think part of the challenge here, too, was that there were 14 people and no one would drop out until the very end. So if you've got three front runners, okay, 
but you've got 14 people and you also have a ranked balloting system, which is much tougher to understand. So it's harder to sort of tell. You can look at the fundraising numbers. You can look at the initial polling. You can try and figure it out. But it's it's a lot tougher to sort of figure out where all the cards are going to fall when you're dealing with polling like that. So I think that combined with the fact that there were 14 people, they all persisted on staying in there for some reason. It makes it very difficult to do with even that, why did they all stay in? I don't know. That like, I don't I, know. I, I, and I'm not in Can Poly right. c- circuit that you're in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I dip in and out as I see it, uh, as it's covered in the media. So mm-hmm. I feel like as a news consumer, they're like, I have basic questions. Like, why have we dropped? I don't know why those candidates were there for so long. Mm-hmm. That's an unanswered question for right. me, trying to understand right. what happened. And I don't understand why this story about the missing votes in that race seems to have fallen off the radar, which seemed like. Yeah. I mean, that's a strange one. We have Tony Clement and Maxime Bernier all coming out, pledging their unconditional support for Andrew Scheer, which also doesn't make any sense. How can you have unconditional support for a guy leading your party if you want to yeah. encourage sort of the idea? But yeah, no, that one's a strange one. I don't know. And I think we're or we should rather see more coming out of that. Let's remind We're, people what it is. I, sure. I, I neglected to do that. Perhaps you could do, do a better job of it than I. What is this controversy that came out about? Basically, there's just a discrepancy between the initial reported number of ballots cast and what's been sort of reported subsequently. I think it's a difference of 6,000, 7,000 votes. Enough to throw it to it Bernier. It was yeah. to Bernier. And it was so close, too, that it has a lot of people raising their eyebrows, rightfully so, about what was going on here. And to be honest, I haven't looked into it as closely as I should have. I'm sure that there is fantastic investigative journalism going on, despite our depleting resources. Is there? I don't know, because the party was so quick. It's this Canadian impulse of right. everyone was very quick to say, nothing to right. see here, folks, right. nothing to see here. Sheer is the king. Sheer is the guy. Let's all move on. Right. Well, from the party's perspective, you want to rally behind your leader as soon as possible, right? To to get out there and start putting forward your message. You don't want to be bogged down with these accusations of potential voter fraud or whatever else it is. So I understand from and the party's... And he was the party candidate, and Bernier was was not necessarily. Right. He was much more in the mainstream. He was an, uh, kind of like an outsider, too, and he was problematic in Quebec, ironically, because of his supply management proposals and whatnot. So Sheer, Sheer is the guy to sort of unite the party. He's the safe choice just because he's not all that radical. He's not all that different from a CPC perspective. Except I mean, maybe he didn't win. Well, yeah, that's a good one, too. Um, yeah, I know. Sounds like a good story. Uh, you know? For sure. But I mean, from from the party's perspective, of, cor- of course, they want to all rally behind and say that there's no big deal and let's all move on. But from our perspective, it's I, I guess we hope that somebody's looking into it. <laughs> I'll get back to you on that one. The resources are an issue here, aren't they? Of like- course they are. Of course they are. And I think in most newsrooms, too, it depends on who's they're sort of calling the shots, but there is this fixation on clicks, on readership. And I think a lot of people don't understand that clicks don't necessarily equate to revenue or to success of your business. But I think there's a myth out there and in newsrooms, actually, that you want to go after these clicks because they somehow translate to monetary success. And I think that's part of the problem when it comes to covering these things fairly and accurately and proportionally, that there are people in newsrooms still who think we got to get these clicks because it's somehow integral to the survival of our business. And that's how we sort of fall down um, rabbit holes in terms of giving undue attention to 
things that really shouldn't have it. It's a pretty crazy thing in the Canadian context because the clicks don't make you money, as you say. No, they don't. But they're like they are about following where the pack is going and like, oh my God, all of these eyeballs are going to our competitor. Why not us? Right. I stated my feelings about the CBC getting out of mm-hmm. that game. I also feel like places like iPolitics, like get out of opinion. Like, what if you were just you only reported when you had a scoop, when you had something new. Like, like that, that, that'd be worth paying for to anybody in politics. I know. But if you're d- appealing to advertisers, for example, you can't say we're only going to bring people to our page if we sure. report something when it goes on. That's there where we have to, to sell news t- directly to readers. All right. That. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Final possible solution. Right. I don't know if I'm the one to, to coin the phrase. I'm sure somebody has before, but I'll call it jerk journalism. Mm-hmm. Whatever the narrative Don't is. we already have that on Twitter and elsewhere? Sort of. <laughs> okay. But we're just jerks to each other. Oh, okay, fair enough. Never mind. We should be jerks to, I, to our subjects. I guess so. Reflexively, always. Yeah. Resist the narrative, whatever the narrative is. Okay, well, you're preaching to the choir here because this is my job. When you're talking about opinion journalism, which is what I do, I've never been a news reporter. I was a lousy news reporter when I tried it. That is my job description, basically. It's to call it out. It's to call bullshit to knock down the narrative. So, you know, you say that to me as a possible solution. I see it as something that I do every single day. (laughs) I call it a personality. uh, Fair enough. A way of being, yeah. If there's a deficiency there, then maybe I'm not doing my job well enough and all the other people there who, who are working in opinion are not doing it well enough. But there is this element of journalism where that is exclusively dedicated, motivated to calling out that bullshit every single day. And that's what we do. Maybe not well enough. Thank you, Robin. Thank you. That was your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. I can be emailed at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read what you send me and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is canadalandshow.com. And our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. We have lots of podcasts for you this week. Tomorrow there is an episode of Canada Land Commons that you are going to want to listen to. That's on Tuesday. On Wednesday, The Imposter is back. That show is on fire. If you haven't been listening to it, listen to it. And on Thursday, I will be back with Canada Land Shortcuts. Have I not thanked Omar Mualam on this show for filling in for me while I was gone? If so, that's terribly rude of me. He was very, very good. Thank you, Omar. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 